This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Flipping the channels the other day, I came across something that I had not seen in probably 15 years, and I just got stuck there. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you what it was. For the first time in years, I saw, just for a few minutes, a soap opera. Now, I don't want to promote this soap opera, so I'm not going to tell you the name of it. It had something to do with days and our lives and something like that. And um, it was like a train wreck. You know, you, you just I should have changed the channel, but I couldn't, first of all, because the production quality had not changed in 20 years. I mean, and then also the storyline had not changed. In this small snippet of five to seven minutes, I just saw this cycle that had been happening for decades of people falling in love and then falling out of love, then falling back in love with people they shouldn't be in love with. And it just went on and on and perpetuated uh, a bad TV over and over again. Uh, that's not unlike the American church today. Because what is happening is that on almost every week, I like hearing this kind of stuff, people fall in love with our church. They're like, man, Aaron, I love your church. Perfect location, great music. You do a good, good job speaking. I like those compliments the most. Um, and, and, you know, our kids had a great time. Pastor David and Marge are doing great with the youth. And that's helpful and beneficial. And please don't hesitate to tell me those things. Uh, but the other thing that I realize is simultaneously, people who have been with us a while are that we know, we don't know this. They're falling out of love with the church. And that's a cycle that I want us to examine closely and break. That's why I closed with that illustration last Sunday when I talked about Psalm 92, about being planted. And so we pick up there today. Because unlike the world's idea of romance, where we, they fall in love and out of love all the time, we know that God has given us a biblical standard in marriage of covenant that we're committed because of who he is and because of what we've decided. So I think it would be a good thing that if we decided, I'm going to love my church, not because I don't recognize its weaknesses, not because there aren't things I don't prefer, and not that there's not things we don't need to work on because we have a lot to work on around here. I'm going to love my church because God has planted me here. And this is where I'm called to be. Before you say this is just about an institution, let me remind you about who loves the church more than anybody. That's Jesus. So if we love Jesus, we love what Jesus loves and we love his church. And I want you to love your church. I want you to love your church. And I want you to see the value of, of something that we want to talk about today. And that is community. On the back of your bulletin is an outline for you to take notes. And then if you have your smartphone and iPhone or Android, you can go to YouVersion and go to live events, put in the church at Indian Lake. And in that you will uh, find the notes that are already pre-entered and the scripture that's pre-entered and that will be helpful to you. Have you ever been part of a church or religious uh, organization where the pastor or staff pastors, you feel like they kind of used you? They, they, they reeled you in and, and kind of brought you into a program or a ministry or a duty in the church and use their persuasive skills because pastors, we were pretty good at speaking. That's like our job. So we're pretty good at using words and reeling people in. 
and when you participated in the ministry or the activity, you kind of felt used. Like you were a number to reach a quota. They got you in and then there was nothing to it. It's almost like you're in now, you're stuck, you're in the program, you're in the system, um, get happy. I believe the antidote to that, that will keep us from, from becoming like that is community. Community is what God wants us to be part of. And here's the first point I want you to write down is community is a lifestyle, not a program. And as your pastor today, that's what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to consider a lifestyle that Jesus wants you to have. Now I'm going to be up front and that within this sermon, I'm going to refer to one of our programs several times, uh, which is our 242 groups. But I want to say right up front, that's not the only way you can have community. You know, I see Rita Dumont here in the third row, and I run into Rita and her friends from high school all over the city of Hendersonville because they're in community. They have coffee at different places, and her friends uh, like to harass me, and uh, they're, they're a great group of, of, of gentlemen and women there, and they're, they're awesome. But I see them that are in community. And so you, you can have community outside a church structure. But we have something here called 242 groups. It's based off Acts 242. And Acts 2.42 says the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the Bible now, to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and they were in community. And so we are trying to help create community for you. And so we've created a structure where three seasons a year, we have what is called 242 groups, which are smaller groups beyond the big group movement here. This particular year, we're going to start them on August 22nd. I want to share with you what the dates are going to be. They're going to be August 22nd. Excuse me. Thank you. I just missed seven months of the year. That is uh, January 22nd, January 29th. That's a little bit different. We've adjusted for the MLK supper uh, two weeks in a row. And then it goes every other Sunday night. February 12th, February 26th, March 11th, March 25th. This is a vehicle for you. The reason it's a little more structured is the, the church invest in childcare here on, on the property uh, with childcare workers who have background checks, who are paid well, who watch your kids for an hour and a half because we want you to be in community. Now, 242, it's not the only way you can be in community. We have a men's Bible study that meets every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. We have women's Bible studies that will get going in February. We have an intercessory prayer team that meets on Thursdays at 10 a.m. We have some guys who stand before church and have coffee before their ushers. That's a community right there. There's all types of ways uh, you can have community. But what I want you to understand is that God wants you to not only have this experience that we're having this morning, but to have additional experiences where you get to know smaller bands and groups of people to do faith with, to do life with, to experience Jesus with. I grew up uh, in the 80s. I was a big Dallas Maverick fan back when I liked the NBA. Now I only watch the NBA out of necessity. I'm not a big fan of the game anymore, but I, I love the Mavericks. And we used to play the Houston Rockets all the time yeah, because they were in our division. And, and 
uh, I always wanted to go to Houston to see the Rockets play at the Summit. I mean, doesn't that sound cool, the Summit? We're going to go to the Summit for a basketball games. So I guess that was on my nine-year-old bucket list. Um, <laughs> thanks, Beth, for laughing at that. Uh, now the, 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 the Rockets, Houston Rockets, have moved to a new arena, and the Summit is now a church. It's, it houses the, the largest church in America, Joel Osteen's church. And so this church has multiple services, and I've seen the pictures. Uh, this arena made for basketball has like 20,000 people there. And, you know, I don't watch Christian television, but I've seen the, the panoramic view, and, and it's impressive. And, and it's exciting. I mean, I think it's kind of a cool story. God has redeemed the NBA and put a church in there, and that's awesome. Uh, there's something powerful, and this is the point now, of um, there's something exciting about a big crowd and powerful, and God uses that, and it's energizing, and, and that's a good thing. But we're going to see here in the Scripture that Jesus actually avoided the crowds. I'm not saying crowds are bad. Crowds followed him. And then he avoided the crowds. See, I like this setting here. This is our larger gathering, uh, the Sunday morning services. I like it because I get to talk and you have to listen. You're a captive audience. It works out really good for me. Uh, But it's a good setting for us. But it's not the only one that God wants to create these groups that interact, that know each other's names, that know each other's stories, you know, we, we, we said this, that we learn each other's names and then we learn each other's stories and then we learn each other's hearts. And, and God wants that to be the case for you. And Jesus modeled this. So let's go now to Mark chapter three, because we're going to see now uh, one of many verses that show the crowd following Jesus. Mark three, starting with verse 16, excuse me, verse seven. Thank you. Uh, it says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples And a large crowd followed him. And they came from all over Galilee, Judea, and it lists other places. Now, go on down to verse 13. Afterwards, so Jesus was with this big crowd. Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Jesus was creator of a clique. And cliques aren't bad. Exclusive cliques are, are those that damage community. But Jesus had a very defined group of people that he retreated with because he understood something that we often don't. We want the crowd. We want to be part of the big event. And I've already said that there's value in that. I'm not demeaning that. But there is great value in having a smaller group of people who get together and who experience uh, life together. They know each other. They know each other's names. They know each other's stories. They know each other's hearts. So going on to verse 10, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 10, we see the same thing. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. Now, in the large group setting, Uh, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave some incredible teaching. But much of his teaching happened when he was traveling with his friends from point A to point B. Much of the teaching we get from Jesus happened in conversation. It happened at Starbucks. It happened at 
Chili's. It happened at places where, y'all understand the transfer there. It happened through conversation, through people getting involved in each other's lives. That God moves in our conversations. God moves in our dialogue. God moves among us. Yes, this is valuable and good what we're doing this morning. But I'm believing it's going to come a day when the Sunday morning service can be one of the least significant things we do during the week. Because all over in homes, in coffee shops, around this campus, we are going to have little communities that are getting together to share their lives with one another to do what Jesus did, avoid the crowd and retreat. We go now to Mark chapter six, starting with verse 30. Mark chapter six, starting with verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he saw this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles Apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left the boat for a quiet place, left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. I I love that phrase, they could be alone. See, we always think that being alone just means isolation. But there was a group of people that Jesus had called them to himself that they had this need to be alone. I want to suggest something to you that whatever small group God has you a part of, and obviously uh, I want you to be in our 242 groups and in our systems, but whatever system that is for you, that when you participate, it's an investment. You're investing in the community and you're investing in yourself. Because let's face it, lots of Sunday afternoons around 345 to 430, I mean, that is designed by God as the best nap time on Sunday afternoon (laughs) that exists. And I want to tell you, you deserve to nap during that time. And, And we're so mindful of that. We even have groups every other week. But when you fight off the, the weariness and, and you stop at Publix and get your chips and salsa and your two liter, if that's what your group does, and you, you get your kids ready to go to the, the Youth 242 or whatever the case is, the, the investment of your time, the investment of sometimes your dollars, the investment of what is precious or holy, about 20 times a year, 20 to 22 times a year, it, it is an investment in yourself and in your community. Because you might think on a Sunday afternoon, you know, I don't need community today. What I need is just rest. But you never know that you need community until you need a community. You invest in something because you just never know when you need love and when you need support and when you need people to rally around you. And so by investing in community, you'll receive community when you need it the most. See, it's not a program, it's a way of life. And it's Jesus' example to us. It's Jesus' way of life. It's what he has asked us to do. Now, over the years, I've, I've, at a previous church I served, I was in, in, in charge of small groups, and we went through all kinds of different systems. Uh, I've talked to some of the larger churches in America about their small group systems, and I've learned this, is that nobody has small groups figured out. There's no church in America that has it perfect. It's always like an... Um, 
it's like an organism. It's breathing. It's changing. You're, you're always making adjustments as they go. But something that I've encountered working with congregation members is often people will say this, whether it's a Sunday school class or a 242 group or a women's Bible study, they'll say, hey, I tried that once. I'm never doing that again. And obviously there's a bad experience and there's a bad story there. Most of the time it's someone who took a risk and went and tried something and it was just a bad night. And there's just all types of reasons why that could have happened. I mean, there are, there are incredible amount of variables on why things could be a bad experience for you. And so I've said before, and, you know, I didn't want to be deceive you when I did this, but I've said before, I promise you, if you check out a 242, you're going to love it. And that's really not true. I can't promise that. I wish I could, but it's, 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 it's plausible that you could go to one of these groups or go to a Bible study or go to some kind of small gathering and it, and it not be a great experience the first time. Maybe there's a lack of chemistry. Maybe, you know, someone didn't heat up the chicken dip. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a group of singers and you hate singing or I don't know what it is. There's all types of variables, but don't say, well, I've had one or two bad experiences and I'm done with community. Because there are an incalculable amount of reasons why community can benefit your life. And I'm going to suggest to you, I want you to write it down, that community takes time and repetition. That's what biblical community takes. I'd love to, I'd love to love it if you went to some kind of smaller gathering and you walked in the door And as you walked in the room, a light from heaven shone down on you and an orchestra started and warmth filled your heart. And you said, these are the brothers and sisters that I've never had in the first five minutes of the meeting you attend. Wouldn't that be great if it was was going to happen that way and it was guaranteed to happen that way? But it doesn't happen that way. It takes repetition. It takes time. It takes staying in one church and being planted. It, it means going to, uh, going to what's offered, showing up over and over and over again. The repetition gives you an opportunity. The power of showing up. The power of being at the place that you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Let's think about that biblically. Rebecca was going to water the camels like she probably did every day. She kept showing up to water the candles, the camels. Little did she know that one day Abraham's servant would be there looking for a wife for Isaac. She just showed up another day to water the camels. And on that day, everything changed. David was doing his duties in the shepherd field. Same thing he did day after day after day after day. Showed up, did what he was supposed to do. Little did he know that one day... Jesse would call him in and Samuel would anoint him king of Israel. Gideon was at the wine press, at the wine press at night to hide for the enemy, taking care of the family business, showing up, doing what he was supposed to. The angel of the Lord came and told him to lead the army. Andrew and Peter mending their nets, getting ready for another fish. And all of a sudden this new rabbi, the Messiah came and said, drop your nets, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. 
showing up, time and repetition, being where you're supposed to do, doing the things you're supposed to do, that builds community. That is part of how God uses community to make us who he wants us to be. See, you never know, as I mentioned earlier, when you'll need community. We get a snapshot of Paul's life at the end of his life. One of his last books he wrote was Second Timothy, First and Second Timothy, as he is imprisoned in Rome, waiting execution. And in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 11, he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loved the things of this life and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Now the next, next verse, he goes on and he says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark when you come or he will be helpful to me in my ministry. At the end of his life, Paul says, Luke is the only one here with me. Now, Timothy, you come to me and Mark, bring Mark with you because I need my community. I need my people. I need my group. There came a time here it was that Paul, the one who traveled, the one who went to places the gospel had never been preached, the one who tra- was a trailblazer for the kingdom of God said, I need my community now. I need my people around me because he knew, he knew how important community was. When I was a, a youth pastor, I was talking with another youth pastor. We were in our 20s. We didn't know squad about life, ministry, marriage, anything, but yet we were leading other people's kids. You know how youth ministry is. Thank God we have a competent one like David Huff because that's not him. Uh, but this was, uh, I was in my early 20s and I was talking to another youth pastor. We were talking about this subject. And this guy said something so brilliant that he didn't realize how brilliant it was. And, and it stuck with me forever since then. We were talking about how do you build community with a group of kids or how do you build community? And he said this incredible statement. He said, community is build, built through adversity. I want you to write that down, number three. Community is built through adversity. Obviously, it's not the only way it's built, but it's one of the gifts of, of, of challenges. It's one of the gifts of adversity. Think about this church here that this church went without a pastor for months upon months. I think over two years. And then I had the, the, the privilege of being hired here. And even though that was tough for some of the people who, who held the church together, what I saw when I came was deep community, a group of people who loved each other, that were committed to each other, a group of people who had stayed when others had left. And there were strong bonds that I still see in them today, or still seeing you who, who are part of that group. The church plant that I led in Gallatin, it was, it was really taxing on us physically. Set up and every week, had to clear out a junior high cafeteria. And I can only tell you, only God knows what is underneath some of those tables we had to move. <laughs> you don't think that's pers- that is persecution there. So we clear out the tables, bring in a sound system, bring in the trailer, have an hour and 15 minute service, do it all again, do it again Wednesday night. It, it was tough and it, was, it, was, it, it tired us out and it was hard, but there's a bond from those days because of the adversity. That's one of the gifts of adversity when a group of people go through something together, they become stronger and they're bonded by those experiences. And that's why God 
wants you to understand that, that that's why it's so important that you have a faith community, both here at the Church of Indian Lake and these smaller groups we're trying to create. Because here is, is a fact. We are never more like Jesus than when, when we are there for one another, when we care for each other, when we are involved in each other's lives and when we're involved in each other's needs, that is when we're the most like Jesus. We're not the most like Jesus when we preach good and sing good and and do things within this room that we consider ministry. Those things have their value, but what has the greatest value is when you listen to people's stories and when you're present in people's adversity And you're there for people to celebrate their successes and there to cry with them when they're going through something tough. That's what community is. That's where adversity is overcome and the gift of adversity is birth. That is the answer to the oppression of the institutional church that uses people to fill in gaps and and and, and just to fill quotas for programs. No, it's beyond that. There has to be a heart behind what we do and the heart behind what we do is community. That's why the apostle of love, John, he he couldn't put it any better than in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says it this way. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Is that not a good thing? Now, this next statement is bold and challenging and huge for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Go back to the previous slide where verse 16 is. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Listen, accumulating an audience has its value. And there there are parts of me that I I want to preach to a big church and a big crowd. No doubt, I'd be lying if if there wasn't parts of me that just wanted that. But we're called more than just to accumulate a crowd. We're here to birth the heart of God through our community through a congregation, through people who are interconnected, who love one another. There has to be a heart behind what we do. That's why the last thing I want you to write down is this, is that community shows a taste of God's culture on earth. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. That's why we're always inspired by Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. That So you might even hear the scripture next week too that talks about what's going to happen in heaven. And it says it this way. It says after, sorry, Revelation 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne of God and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hand. And they were singing, shouting with a mighty shout, salvation comes from God who sits on the throne and from the land. That's what's going to happen in heaven. Go back to verse 9 there. People from every nation 
and tribe and people and language. As it is in heaven, let it be here on earth. We are a people of different ages and different genders and different denominational backgrounds and different nationalities, but we are called and, and we are called to become a community of faith, not because we're the same in the natural, because we're the same in the spirit. And God's called us into community. And that is a beautiful picture of what his culture wants to be here on earth. God wants his people to be in community, but we have to give our lives to one another. So I want you to reflect today. I want you to reflect today about God's call on your life. God's call in your life. I know you, you, this, this group of people here, I know you love Jesus. I know you love Jesus. I know you're grateful for your salvation. It's easy to love Jesus because he's perfect. It's easy to love Jesus because there's nothing flawless about Jesus. But it's not so easy to love his church because the, the church isn't perfect and the church is flawed. And you can pick apart the church. I mean, it's so, it's so easy to do because there are some weaknesses within us every day. I could at any time can give you 30 to 50 things our church needs to work on every day. And, and when I hear about them, I'm always like, I mean, it is a rare occurrence that anyone brings an issue up to me that I've never thought about before. It's like, yes, 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 we need to work on it. We need to work on it. We need to work on it. But I love the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the representation of Christ to this earth. We are the gathering us who are sinners, us who are weak, us who are full of mistakes, us who we don't demonstrate the gifts and the fruits of the spirit as we should. Yet Jesus said, when we get together, when we gather, whether it's two or whether it's three, when you get together in my name, he is here. We embody his presence. Every time we gather, every small group, every prayer gathering, every time two or three gather in his name, Jesus is right there in the midst of of that gathering. And that is the hope of the world that in this sorry planet, dark planet, this planet full of sin and injustice and a disease, when we get together, it gets brighter. When we get together, it gets better. And so I love my church because Jesus is working in my church. Would you close your eyes? And I want you to pray about this with me. You see this, this message today yeah, I know I talked about the mechanics of our groups that are going to start later on this month. And those are, that's important. Promotions are important. But this, this is more. This is a defining message for your walk with the Lord. I'm talking the, these next years you have on this planet to walk with the Lord. The Lord's saying, I need you in community. I've called you to community the very hard work of life together, the very difficult work of being interconnected, the very risky work of relationships. That's how he's gonna change the world. He's gonna change the world when we get together and live together and do his work in kingdom. So in this moment, let's think about this. Let's give space for the Holy Spirit to speak right now to soften our hearts where it's hard, to direct our hearts where he doesn't have leadership. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of Indian Lake.